This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, I have Matthew and Jen on from Snagajob, and our topic today is AI and hiring, why it might do more harm than good. So we'll look at, uh, everyone talks about the positive parts of AI, and there are some positives, obviously, but we'll be talking a little bit maybe uh, about some of the things we're not thinking about, so... Why don't we do some introductions? Matthew, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself? And Jen, you do the same thing and then uh, introduce Snagajob. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so for, for those who don't know, Snagajob is the largest marketplace for hourly work in the country. So we help about 6 million uh, workers each month find right fit employment, whether that be full-time, part-time, or gig-based shift work. And then I am the CEO of Snagajob and I've been here just a little under four years. Hi, everybody. I'm Jen. Uh, I am the head of data products. And uh, one of my responsibilities is building uh, some of the algorithms that we use to match workers with employers. Awesome. So why don't we start where we we think of, of, of the harm? I think with the popular press would probably say biases that we take our own kind of human biases and then we you know bring them into AI. Um, what, what do you all see first? And, and Jim, we'll start with you. What do you see is like where this could get off the rails pretty quickly in terms of doing more harm than good? Yeah, I think it's, you know, one of the things that we think a lot about is uh, it's really important to frame the problem with anti-bias in mind. Mm. Um, And it's also really important to recognize that bias also exists in the data itself, right? As um, I think a lot of people um, don't really, we often see data as kind of objective, um, but really it's a human tool. So um, making sure that kind of all aspects of, um, you know, AI, however we're leveraging it, you really kind of take that critical lens to it. That's fantastic. And, and Matthew, do you have any other color commentary? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'd say, you know, broadly, broadly, we do believe AI can be a positive good in right. hiring. I mean, it's not by no means a cure-all. I think the typical pitfalls that you see uh, is more in sort of the approach and application, right? Like a lot of things in life. I think Jen mentioned one, which is, you know, oftentimes firms just don't have a clear problem statement. Like, what are they actually hoping to achieve? Are they actually trying to increase diversity or are they just replicating existing biases? Second is around not recognizing bias. And what I mean by that is like any data that you use in AI involves some form of humans making decisions, right? Around either what data to include or what data to exclude. And that process in and of itself leads to unintended bias. And so it's really important to be auditing those data sets and understanding what bias it's creating. The third in my mind is around just sort of lack of transparency, Mm. right? Which is like, 
you know, when decisions are made by AI without any sort of explanation, like I think it does two things. One, it limits your ability to inspect the process. The other is I think it reduces the confidence that at least in hiring, either an employer or a worker has, right? Oftentimes you hear one of the big complaints of AI from employers is like, I just don't understand how it works, right? It's a black box. And so that lack of transparency, I think is a, is a typical pitfall. And then the last one, I would say sometimes when, when people don't just take into consideration the human element. And what I mean by that is like, sometimes they're really well-intentioned, you know, uses and applications of AI, say like, you know, one-way video, which is a pretty common one. But sometimes those things can actually create more anxiety for candidates and users than other approaches. And so mm-hmm. it's important to sort of balance like, hey, what may, what may be effective versus like what's actually a good consumer experience? And right. I know in our case, like we had piloted the use of one-way video and what we actually ended up finding is that it was it was creating a lot of anxiety for workers more so than you know more traditional alternatives, right? Whether it be like an online questionnaire or a phone-based interview. And so even though it had proven effective, right? It was just as effective as phone-based interviews, we actually chose to wind it down, right? Because we just said, hey, this is just, it's not creating the experience that we would want. You know, there's uh, there's like 19 things there to unpack, so <laughs> we'll go slow. Um, one of them that I really keyed in on it is the rush to AI, and we've seen it for years. If you, if we've been to any of the of the HR tech shows or even just you know Sherm, uh, you go by someone's booth and it's it's splashed everywhere. Uh, mm. It does it doesn't say machine learning or NLP or any of these other things. It's just AI everything. Yeah. And so, Jen, uh, I want to get your take on on what you see as kind of the that rush and why why you think that we you know is it just a bright shiny new object and and everyone's just kind of rushing and like it's, and they're not thinking about necessarily the the uh, the downsides. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I've actually been in sort of the HR space for uh, most of my career. And I've also seen the kind of dynamics that you were talking about, especially at some of the larger conferences. Um, And I, you know, one of my kind of, you know, cautionary tales for a while is, you know, as you mentioned, it's, it can be kind of like a marketing tool, right? It's a bright, shiny object. We threw some AI in it. Um, And it makes it, you know, makes people more likely to buy the product or whatever they're selling. Um, And, you know, Matthew really kind of outlined the things that are really the pitfalls around that type Mm -hmm. of approach, right? Is if you're not taking the time, you know, I always say like machine learning for machine learning sake, right? If you're not taking the time to really be thoughtful around the problem that you're defining and the data that you're using and how you're going to explain that to your users um, really just becomes a marketing tool at that point um, and really can um, have some unintended consequences when, you know, as a user, end user of whatever product it is, uh, you don't exactly know how it's being used. Right. It's, it's interesting because I, I've said this for a couple of years uh, and so I'm not sure, like, like, I'm not sure the audience, both in HR and in recruiting, if they actually know what AI is and, (laughs) comma, (laughs) I'm not sure that the people selling uh, AI 
actually know what AI is. And, you know, I've had, I've faced a little, a little conflict on this. And I'm like, listen, all right. You know, and even at a, a conference recently, I, I, t- I said this to somebody and they're like, yeah, you're not right. And I'm like, okay, well, we're literally in a hallway. And I said, grab somebody. And I'm going to put 10 things in front of them. And I just want them to explain the differences between these 10 things. And, you know, Bitcoin, blockchain, AI, NLP, this, that, and the other. I'm like, and, and they did. They pulled a person in front of me. And I said, hey, listen, just we're just doing kind of like a you know, mall survey. So no, no, there's nothing wrong here. <laughs> and we did this bit. And uh, the lady just looked at me. She goes, I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. So do you all, do you all, I mean, first of all, I, I could be way off on that. So I, I get it, but do y'all get that sense from your, your clients or your, your customers or prospects that they don't quite know what AI is? I mean, I, I think, listen, like AI, AI is just a complicated topic. Right. And so I right. think, I think a lot of people say, Hey, I recognize there's inefficiency in the way that hiring is done today. I believe that technology can play a greater role. Mm-hmm. And I know that AI and other applications or machine learning, right? Subset like can have an impact. And so there, there unfortunately can be a tendency for sometimes people to, you know, m- misappropriate the use of AI or, um, you know, lean on everything being AI driven when the reality is like, there are some applications that are, I think, are, are really well suited to machine learning and AI. And there are others where you'd say, hey, that may not be the best application of it, right? So I think that's that's where I fully get it, right? Like, I don't think that I would expect most people to necessarily know the sort of real details of how AI works. Like I said, it's yeah. it's a it's a it's a pretty difficult uh, thing to understand. I think the onus is on companies, whether they be a snag a job, whether they be others, to better help explain how it's being used and when it's being used in really easy to understand terms, right? That, that's on us. I like that, Jen. I, you know, that's, that brings me to that question of, of, do we even talk about the how? Do we, or should we, you know, both, both as on the vendor side and also for practitioners sake, should we even outside of, and we'll unpack these in a second in terms of auditing and ethical and transparency, all the issues over there, do we, should we even get into the how the technology other than like, here are the outcomes you should expect? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think to Matthew's point, I think we should. And I think the, the onus is really kind of on the vendors, right? It is like, um, I would not expect uh, my customers to be able to, you know, talk about the ins and outs of all the different models and the data inputs. Right. Um, but it's <laughs> it's my responsibility and my team's responsibility to be able to explain thoughtfully and simply how we use those in our product. Um, and I think that that is a conversation that is worth kind of like, you know, pushing on, right? And really kind of bringing out and open in the transparent um, rather than, you know, to your point earlier around kind of, you know, flashy, you know, materials, really just having an open conversation around, you know, what data is being used simply kind of in simple terms, right. what outcomes can be expected from what is being used and where. 
I love that. So let's go back through <laughs> Matthew. Matthew threw, threw out like 19 things at once, <laughs> which is great uh, as, as a host of a podcast, because now it's like, oh, okay, well, here's the 19 things we should explore. <laughs> um, let's start with auditing uh, mm-hmm. from, you know, how, how often should we for our customers, how often should we be auditing our, our own internal processes around AI? Yeah, I think I think one of the things that we have committed to, and Jen can talk about a little bit around how we how we are thinking about approaching probably the trickiest piece, which is uh, auditing for anti-bias or ensuring anti-bias. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have committed to not just conducting at least an annual audit of our AI models, but additionally, and I think this is an important piece, is actually publishing the results. And I think the publishing of the results is important, frankly, to keep us accountable as well as to provide much needed transparency to, you know, both workers and employers around, hey, this is this is what we're actually seeing. Then maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, in these situations, like how are we thinking about some of the trickier piece, which is hey, how do you ensure anti-bias when by nature you don't, you don't actually want and aren't collecting demographic data today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're still working through exactly what this looks like, right? To, to right. Matthew's point, um, this is complex. And to date, we haven't even collected uh, demographic data because, you know, really want to make sure that we're thinking thoughtfully before we, you know, kind of go into that frontier. Um, but, you know, some of the ways that we're thinking about approaching it is really, you know, through the same means that we were just talking about, it's really leveraging community um, and, you know, partnering with select clients to review their own hiring data and having conversations about what that looks like and how do they ensure anti-bias and how does that look and what do their own audit programs look like? And then I think, you know, what's really important also kind of internally is you think about kind of, you know, uh, a blind study that would be run, right, is for a small sample, you get some optional demographic data um, to calibrate the models again. So basically you say, okay, here's a model, here's what it predicted, and let's like look at what it did to demographics. Um, And there's a bunch of kind of complex um, you know, techniques that, um, you know, front leading uh, anti-bias AI ethicists are looking into, but that's just like simple, tangible ways of just bringing, again, the conversation out in the open and saying like, we can't solve this alone. We have to solve this with our community. I love that. I love that. So we are talking a little bit, uh, and, and let me ask a, a different question on the auditing. How frequently should we publish? So the, 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 I love what you are doing in terms of both the auditing, but also kind of putting what you're find your findings back in front of the audience to make sure that you're account- hold yourself accountable. They can also help help you with the accountability as well. How often are y'all doing that? Is that uh, like annual, an annual, annual? Yeah, we, yeah. We we believe in in annual, which is similar as well to what we do internally, even as it relates to DEI. And so we think the same as it relates to our, our AI models that we should be doing that. Perfect. At least on an annual basis to start. Perfect. 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 So the that's and then that, that leads us into transparency. The more transparent when you when something in the annual report or, or the transparency report when that doesn't go the way that we think it is, 
uh, and it's you know it just goes sideways and like this is this has happened to everybody so you know this is this mm -hmm. is one of those things like you know we start with the best intentions also we get halfway down the road and it's like okay well no that didn't create the it has an adverse impact etc okay well we stop doing that um do y'all see that as a part of the kind of the reporting process and the transparency process i think i think it has to be right uh i think you have to you have to be willing to acknowledge you know in that where you are seeing bias and then what are mm -hmm. the measures that you are taking to mitigate or remove that bias you know and, and you know again an example for us is you know that pilot program that i mentioned that we ran with use of one-way video you know we said hey this is where it's working this is where it's not working we're not going to wind it down and we're going to explore two other alternative paths Love that. And, and Jenny, anything to add there on, on either the auditing or transparency? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that transparency kind of from an auditing perspective, right. Is like, I think Matthew is right. Is you have to, again, nobody has the answers to this. So being um, transparent and open about what you're learning and how you're trying to actively mitigate is important. I also think that it's really important to be transparent in your product as well. Right. Yeah. About, um, showing people your work, you know, like you would a math problem, um, where it's being used actively in the product, what's being taken into account. Um, and ultimately, you know, I think working towards a place where um, you're giving your users the ability to manage their data inputs and how it's being used. Um, I think at the, because this gets so complex, ultimately the best thing that you can do is sometimes turn over the keys um, and say like, you know, I want to opt out or I don't want that piece of information used. Um, and so I think transparency sort of like goes through all levels. I love that. Okay. So um, you've, well, you touched on ethical AI and, and some of the things in ethical AI, how, how do y'all see kind of the future, maybe not quite right now, but the future of kind of an independent audit, having other people kind of look at what you're doing and then kind of grade you on, on, uh, on how you're doing it and what, what, what that looks like. Like, what do y'all, is that something that you should do internally? Is that something that externally, like what's your kind of take? No, right now, and again, this is a moment in time. You might change your mind tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it, Jen, Jen should weigh in as well. I think the one thing that we have committed to doing is having external expertise. Mm. Uh, the way we've thought about it is less having them do an external audit of the results and more an audit and providing input and guidance on the approach. But right. that's the way that, that we've been thinking about it right now. And again, I think the external lens, just like it is in so many other areas, right, is, is incredibly helpful, right, to pressure mm -hmm. test the team's thinking. Yeah. And I would just to add to that, right. I think Matthew's right is like, you have to have outside eyes to pressure test, but I think it's also really important from an internal perspective is that we have, again, you know, there's a theme here, right. Just like open candid conversations with our entire team, not just our leadership um, to ensure, you know, see something, say something, right. It's like, if something doesn't seem right in what we're building or, the results that we're getting in the models, like that's something that's something to flag. So I think that it's important to have that 
um, open conversation from all levels, especially the people that are actively building the product um, and for them to be kind of bought in and aware of making sure that we have, you know, we have this goal and we have this end state in mind and they have to be part of that process. I love that. So questions that practitioners or buyers should ask about AI. Okay. So let's, let's back up for just a second and go, okay, let's see it from their perspective. When, when someone joins the snag a job family, what Mm -hmm. should they, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what should they ask about AI? Yeah, I, like Jen, you should you should weigh in as well. I, I think what what we want to make sure that we are effectively communicating to them because again, you know, some people may not know what hey, what are the questions I should ask? Right. So again, I think that you know, per earlier, like I think the onus is on us and and other vendors and partners to be helping folks with this. Uh, one is when is it used and how is it how is it being used and what is going into it and then what are the measures in place to uh, ensure anti-bias mm-hmm. and how do I have access to those as they become available? Yeah. And I, you know, I think I would, all of those things I think are really important. I also would add, you know, in any kind of vendor partnership, I think it's um, good and healthy to ask uh, questions, right? If if we bring up, you know, to Matthew's point, if we explain how it's used or where it's used, and maybe we use language that is unapproachable, um, I think that it's important for uh, us to have a conversation with our customers that like, this is exactly what this means in an understandable way. And for our customers to challenge us to constantly be explaining things um, simply and clearly. Um, because I think, you know, again, going back to our earlier conversation, it's very easy, um, to, you know, kind of be hand wavy and to, you know, provide snake oil, um, when, um, you know, really the onus is on us to be able to explain exactly how it's being used. Yeah, I would, I would, I mean, I would just encourage your listeners like a red flag for me. And this is even the case, like, you know, with, with partners that we talk to in other areas, right. Unrelated to hiring, but just as it relates to running the business, like if they can't easily explain their use of AI and the more they try and complicate the explanation, that to me is a bit of a red flag. Right. And so I would just encourage our listeners to sort of pressure test with their partners, like, Hey, give me the explanation of, of how and when you're using it. So that in layman's terms that I can actually understand. And again, for, from our standpoint, like, you know, the reason that's so important is it builds confidence, right? Just in, in our partners, but in the day-to-day users. If you think about the location manager or the HR hiring manager, and they're getting recommendations that may have been influenced by AI, they need to be able to trust those. And if they don't understand it, it's really difficult to trust it. Mm-hmm. And again, they don't need to understand it all of the intricacies, right. they, just, they just need to understand the core basics. Like, okay, this is the data that they're using to do it. This is why it's being used, right? I think that's another, you know, oftentimes pitfall with AI is when you utilize data that isn't easily explainable as to why it's a criteria. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to, to an example from, from previous, is like, you know, there are a lot of um, video-based solutions that have used in the past sort of facial expressions. Mm-hmm. We've never believed in that as a data element because it's really difficult to explain, well, why is somebody's facial expression a key determinant on how they are on different 
competency or attitudinal characteristics, right? It's just like, even if the data says it's correlated to things, it's not very easily explainable. And so right. and that's, that's one of those kinds of things. So we've talked, uh, and we only have a, a minute or so left, but we talked about all the harmful, which is great. Um, there, we did. We we should talk about some of the good that y'all see in AI uh, right now, even with with snag jobs. Some of the things mm. you think like, okay, this mm. is this is low hanging fruit. This is actually really good use of AI. And Jim, we'll start with you, and then Matthew, you'll, you'll wrap us up. Yeah, I get super passionate about this. Um, because ultimately, we do believe that AI can help both workers and employers find their best fit matches. Um, as we've talked about, it's not a cure-all, um, but we see AI as a like a partner that can solve for the complexity of the job space, um, really helping both our workers and our employers kind of navigate um, you know, all of the inputs that go into finding their best job for someone, you know, interest, availability, preferences, qualifications. Um, while also being a partner to reduce and hopefully eventually eliminate that bias. Um, you know, that's that at that kind of scale, that really is a machine problem uh, and can really help uh, people navigate the complexities. Awesome. Matthew, anything? anything yeah, the, the, the only thing that I'd add is, is an example from, uh, from COVID. And, uh, you know, as a sort of example of, I think, where AI can be incredibly powerful to both. If you think about it, there was this incredible like displacement of workers in industries. And one of the challenges that many workers had is they, they might have come from industries which were basically shut down in COVID. And a lot of them had this immediate reaction of, well, I'm not qualified for other roles in different industries. And where AI can and was incredibly helpful to workers and then correspondingly to employers was to basically identify roles that they were well matched for based on their underlying skills and competencies from the positions that they had worked in other industries that they were that they might not have known about. And similarly with employers, it was a way to identify candidates who were right fits, who again may not have had the historically traditional you know, career in the way that they had looked, you know, they hadn't come from that industry. But the reality was in what they had done, they had the right set of qualifications. And so I think that's an example as it relates to sort of career pathing and up-leveling for workers and over time employers. It's incredibly powerful that, you know, otherwise we saw in COVID, I don't think would have happened. That is fantastic. This whole thing has been fantastic. I think we could have gone on for about another 30 minutes. So Matthew, thank you for your time. Jen, thank you for your time. And thank you for your just your intellect. And, and this is just a wonderful topic. Yeah, thank you so much for having us, William. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at Recruiting.